This is the Impact Report. I'm your host, Katie Elman. The Impact Report brings together students and faculty in Bard College's MBA in Sustainability program with leaders in business, sustainability, finance, social entrepreneurship, and more. These conversations go live the first and third Friday of each month. This week, Bard MBA's Hung Tran speaks with Roger Basin, CEO and founder of Atlantic Ocean Aquaculture. Hung Tran, and I am a second-year part-time MBA student at Bard. I've been deeply interested in seaweed and aquaculture since I learned about it in high school, and I believe that it is important to talk about as one of the tools for tackling climate change. Uh, today, I'll be interviewing Roger Basin, uh, who is the CEO and founder of Atlantic uh, Ocean Aquaculture, which I'll refer to as AOA from now on. Uh, Roger was trained in ocean science at Colgate University and the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution and has taught uh, ocean sustainability at the Columbia University School of International Public Affairs and the Harvard Graduate School of Design. For the past five years, he has focused on climate action, installing several offshore seaweed farms and wild seaweed harvest in New England. Uh, Present work focuses on the harvest of asparagopsis in Europe, which is a red seaweed that reduces methane in cattle when used as a feed supplement. So the goal of AOA is scaling production to reduce ag sector greenhouse gases in the US and abroad. Uh, Roger, thank you so much for joining us today on the Impact Report. Well, thanks for the introduction, Hong. I appreciate it. Yeah, so I guess, you know, just jumping right in, um, methane is responsible for around 30% of the rise in global temperature since the industrial revolution and rapid and sustained reductions in methane emissions are key to limit uh, near-term warming and improve air quality. So I guess what inspired you to found this company? Well, the climate action factor was, was key. Uh, I have been working uh, in what I taught at, at Columbia, the SIPO uh, years ago was um, the, the ocean energy which I thought was a, a good vehicle, you know, to use the tides and the wave energy um, in a very carbon-free way to produce electricity and, you know, reduce uh, fossil fuels. But that, as a business model, was difficult. Uh, it took about 20, uh, 10 years to permit the first site in the East River in New York uh, City. And that's a tough one for investors and, and a business model um, to move forward. So I, was, I got a bit frustrated and I started to think of, what could I do here with the climate um, issue being so, such a huge part of, of the future? And I had some background in ocean science and this type of thing. So I got, um, was reading Drawdown, which is sort of an epic work in, in the field. And one of them focused on seaweed and it was Brian Von Herzen who uh, uh, runs the Climate Foundation. And I later met with him. He, he came up to my um, seaweed farms in Maine. And, you know, I, I saw that, uh, you know, that this was one way to approach carbon. The seaweed captures carbon from the water, so it reduces ocean acidification and uh, can also be used as a product in many different ways to, to sell as a way to support the whole uh, positive effort. So in a nutshell, that's that's the inspiration right there. Awesome. That sounds great. And I guess 
Uh, how did you hear specifically about the asparagopsis red seaweed strain that can reduce methane emissions in cows? Because that sounds like almost like a kind of cheat code to like tackling the climate change issue. Yes, yes. Well, asparagus is a beautiful red seaweed um, and very uh, abundant. It, it exists in about 60 countries worldwide in the Pacific and, and also in Atlantic countries on every continent. So it's a very abundant seaweed. I, was, I happened to be in uh, Grand Canary in the Canary Islands on a family vacation and circumstances were such that I had to catch up and read on some seaweeds. And they, they tested that asparagus. They tested all the seaweeds. One of them was asparagopsis. And it turns out it was a, a, like a cure-all. It ticked every box for anti-cancer, antibacteria, antiviral, many, many different healing pharmaceutical qualities. And I, so I got interested in it. And then I read that research in Australia and New Zealand indicated they tested just a little fraction, like half of 1% of the daily feed for cattle. And, and, and the cattle produce about 44% of the global methane, cattle and the other ruminants, 3 billion of them. And they uh, most, of, most of it burps out the front end because of the way their digestive system works. And they, they're responsible for an enormous amount of methane. And methane is more toxic than carbon dioxide. It's 86 times as potent a greenhouse gas, but it doesn't last as long. So they, they monetize it at uh, about 28, a factor of 28 times. So one ton of methane is equal to 28 tons of carbon dioxide. And so this is a very useful product because of all these pharmaceutical benefits is good for cattle health. It improves their productivity, their weight gain, uh, feed conversion is, uh, they use less feed to gain more weight and it also reduces methane. So there's an economic and a climate um, benefit for using it as cattle feed. We actually all should be eating this because it's good for so many different things. But this is one way to uh, sort of monetize and get a, you know, a business model. As, a, as an MBA student, I'm sure you can appreciate this, you know, that you got a business model that's actually doing, uh, you know, multiple benefits and 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 enabling a, a profitable enterprise to to reduce methane and, and attack the climate issue. And I want to, uh, I guess, circle back to one thing you mentioned. You said that so the cows only need to be fed a tiny sliver of this daily, not like a large harvest every single time, just a small amount. Yeah, well, what so is, uh, you know, um, most cattle beef or dairy cattle, it works for both. Uh, they eat about 15 to 20 kilos of, of grain or grass, you know, per day. Mm -hmm. When they're in a feedlot or in a, in a barn, you can add this as a supplement. And right now we're working, we're testing, uh, coming up with really the ag sector climate solution for the country of Norway to meet their Paris climate accords. They want to reduce so many, they have a million cattle and they want to reduce so many metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalent according to their protocol. So yeah, we're helping them to, to devise the best ways to feed as, as an oil or a powder or, and how to um, introduce this. They use just as small as two tenths of 1% of their daily feed. So it's about 50 grams, 75 grams, 
versus the 20 kilograms that, you know, that they eat. And, and that can reduce the methane up to 98% in, in cattle. So it's, it's an amazing plant. It, it has a incredible chemistry and you know, it, it is very effective in this, in this area. That, that sounds absolutely amazing. And you mentioned that it's available in, I guess, 60, around 60 countries. Uh, well, it, it's, yeah, it grows. It's, it's not cultivated uh, there yet, but it has the potential you know, to be a global response here. So I guess along with that line, why isn't this happening everywhere? Why, why, why hasn't it been grown in those 60s yet? Well, I, I appreciate this interview because this is one way to inform people, you know, of the value of this seaweed. And, um, you know, I know you're interested in it. It's very tough to grow it, mm -hmm. um, it because of the complexity of its reproductive cycle. Uh, so we wild harvest it. And, you know, I've have experience with that. We have a team really out of out of New York that goes over. We cooperate. We we harvest it in Portugal right now, but that's because we have connections and, and they've been it grows wild there. It forms enormous harvests. And um, these are like blooms that all of a sudden cover the whole uh, shoreline. So it's it's in, in Europe it's a invasive alien species. It's native to the Pacific. And so while we harvest it wild, we help restore the local ecosystem in Portugal. And we also have this saleable product. We're trying to, you know, inform people about this, you know, certainly get investors behind this. And also on the, you know, it's an ocean to farm cycle mm -hmm. through a transportation network, right, to, to get this. So we're working with farms and innovative farmers to, to, to utilize this. And, you know, the, the, you probably know some farmers, you know, they're slow to uh, try new things. You know, they, 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 you know, there's a business as usual kind of, kind of thing. And, you know, it's not the simplest thing to harvest because of the permits and all the rest. So it's a, a work in progress and we're getting a, a great start. And, uh, you know, I think it has enormous potential for, uh, you know, some quick action, really a rapid way to affect climate change. Because the day after we harvest it, we patent, we, we, har we process it, and then it can be fed to cattle. So it's a very quick um, process. And, they, and as soon as they eat it, it has an impact, you know, they, so, so it's an effective tool. And can, uh, is it okay if like the cattle eats it like, uh, like, the seaweed is dried and like it's fed to them like three months down the line is the seaweed still effective do we know well that's a good question uh that's a good question and we're that's what we're testing right now which which really goes to the shelf life and the form in which it's delivered so we're looking at three or four different options you know in a powder that can capture the the, the active ingredients in oils that freeze dry different approaches and to look exactly at that question, which is, okay, does the active ingredient, it's a bromoform compound, does the active ingredient remain in there or, you know, and what is the shelf life? So that's this morning speaking to Norway, we're dealing exactly with the question you asked. Fantastic. And I guess one of the, my last questions about seaweed, uh, what type of growing method do you use and about how much do you harvest a year, would you say? 
Well, what we're looking at, we're scaling right now. Uh, what we want to do is scale to about um, to, uh, about 280 metric tons of wet weight seaweed. And we have um, a vessel in Portugal with a five-man crew and they, you know, they, they can uh, accommodate that in, in about two or three months, you know, just working like 20 days a month. So two or three months during the harvest se season, we can uh, harvest that. And that's good for about 15,000 cattle to be dosed every day of the year, right? Mm -hmm. so, so then each cow uh, produces about um, three metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalent. So we're getting close to 50,000 metric tons of carbon per year that's captured with a one boat and a three month harvest, right? So that's the scale we're, we're working on for, for 2023, yeah. Gotcha. And how big uh, would you say your team is and how has it grown and scaled? Well, that's a good question. Um, we work with a team here in the US. We, we have strategic partners in Norway and also in Portugal. In the US, we work with an ICERTA group, which is good to know about. It's, it's called the EIR program, which stands for Entrepreneurs in Residence. So Joan Snyder and Thomas Boyd are both experts in their field of grant writing and ag agricultural uh, activities. So we, uh, we utilize them uh, in you know, weekly meetings. We have uh, divers in New York State that travel to Portugal and work with the Portuguese there. In Norway, we work with the Life Sciences University and a group called TINA, which is the agricultural uh, collective or cooperative for Norway. And that includes 9,000 farms, 9,000 dairy farms. So that's the team and they are testing and we're collaborating uh, on that, so we have scientists, you know, in this ag area of food and feed and and uh, measurement of the methane reductions and, and and this type of thing. And then in Portugal, we work with the medical school in Lisbon that looks at the pharmaceutical qualities. We we extract the bromoform, which they don't want in the pharmaceutical, and then we have all this like ninety five percent of the biomass for. Uh, pharmaceutical use and and food and 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 other uses so so that's it it's like a three nation team and um it's uh, it's an international collaboration at the moment sweet and i guess along those lines are there any markets that you're excited about tapping into in the future yeah there's the, the one we're working on uh, at this point is uh, beef feedlots. You know, in, in the US, actually the US has about a million uh, cattle. Uh, sorry, sorry, US has a hundred million cattle and about 12 million are in a feedlot at any point in time. When, you know, in the US, it, they're on the open range, right? When they eat grass and stuff, you can't get the supplement to them. But when they come in for fattening for like three or four months a year, the beef feedlots is um, a very good, focus. China also has about a million uh, cattle as well. So it's a, it's a very similar scale. Um, countries like India and Brazil have each have about 300 million. So um, anyway, these are the kinds of scales and our target is really in by 2030 
to uh, hit a million, a million cattle. And um, I know you asked a question earlier about uh, in writing about how that scales financially. And if we um, if we charge the farmers um, fifty cents a dose, a USD, United States currency, then the product sales for a million um, cattle is, is about um, $180 million a year. But the carbon value, even if it was the same as, you know, the, the peak of the carbon market in Europe was about $100 per metric ton of carbon. If that existed into the future here, into, into 2030, that would amount to $300 million a year. So it's a reasonable target. It's a doable a goal, and and that's what we that's what we hope to accomplish. Okay. And what type of impacts have you seen with your work? Like, has anything come out uh, yet that you're like especially proud of? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we're working in Norway. We we have a, a target to comply to enable the, the nation to comply with. Um, their uh, Paris Climate Accords by by 2030. So that's a target, and he, and that is helped by the fact that the asparagopsis in the European Union, the EU, is certified as a you know a livestock feed in Europe. In the U.S., you know it's a different story. So we're trying to bring this to the U.S. and we're working with some of the large agricultural groups and farmers here in the, the Hudson Valley as well to you know, to trial this and to get this through the FDA and, and USDA and all the different, so that it's certified and safe. This has been tested in Australia, New Zealand, UC Davis in California. And basically, if the dose is correct and very small, like 1% or less, it's like a health, enormous health benefit for the cattle. It, all of these positive values, you know, they're mammals like us. So they, they get all these, uh, you know, natural prebiotics or natural, you know, 100% natural antibiotics, which improve their health, their overall productivity, which is how we sell it to the ag sector. You're gonna gain more weight and, and have more profit from your animals. And by the way, you're also doing a good thing for the climate. And you're reducing the methane, which is measurable, and has you know share we share some of the uh, value of the carbon credit with with people who participate. Yeah. And in your talks with like farmers and ag groups, has there ever been any like pushback on this idea, or are they like generally well receptive to it? Yeah, it's a mixed bag, as you might gather. You know, it tends to be more younger or natural innovators are very curious and want to get on board. First, almost everybody knows about it. I mean, our work in Norway, I was talking with this ag group in Wyoming and you know, they, yeah, they heard about that stuff over there in Norway. So, and we were on the, like the NPR of Norway with a um, televised program. And, and so the, the response was mixed. You know, some of the old farmers like, well, why are they putting that on us and this type of thing? And others were like, wow, this is a great way to, you know, change because business as usual uh, will not solve the climate problem. It's getting worse. So fit changes have to be made. And my point of view is that everybody needs to participate, 
not only fossil fuels, but the ag sector, the consumers, products, product design, across the board, there are great opportunities here to participate in, in this change and transformation that every society is gonna have to make. Otherwise, the, uh, you know, the negative impacts of the climate are already being felt. I mean, they're, they're significant. Mm -hmm. And I was also thinking about this from as like a, I guess a marketing aspect for some of the uh, ag groups, like, oh, if you buy our beef at the store, you can rest uh, like guilty uh, free conscious. It's 98% carbon free. Kind of like spot on. No, I th I think you're. That's exactly right. Uh, you know, and and uh, with the Wyoming group, they also have about a million cattle out there in Wyoming. You know, uh, to 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 advertise green beef. You know that this. I mean, a lot of people know that the ag sector. You know, beef, cattle. It's a heavy carbon footprint. And some sector of the population. You know, particularly in Norway. You know, they're they're very conscious about you know trying to do the right thing and and to and to make this transition happen so one thing they did actually i think over in taiwan wyoming uh sent their prime beef over to the restaurants there and then they had you know a little qr code on the menu so one of the farmers who they haven't gotten the aspergopsis yet but they're just prime beef they're very well cared for they talk about 10 seconds or 20 seconds and we'd like to do the same thing is that along the lines of your thought there that the that the green marketing and you know, it's green beef and it's it's like an organic but it's even better than organic this is carbon capture you know this is responsible citizens it's great healthy stuff but it's also good for the planet and i think that that that's spot on and little QR code is a way to bring the essence of our message directly to people that are about to eat or, you know, buying a product. So a good marketing thought there for sure. Yeah. And I guess uh, there's been like no side effects, I assume, uh, for livestock when they eat it. Like, they're just yeah, like that's normal. been very carefully studied. And uh, of all of the studies, about a, a dozen or more that I've read, there's only one um, study that began to bring up uh, some issues with the bromoform. And it has to do with the dosing and, and how the uh, cattle are fed the food. And I think there are um, overwhelmingly, it's, it's a positive uh, benefit if it's done correctly. And, you know, it's like anything, if you have, Aspirin, if you take one aspirin it, it, or two, it's good for your headache. But if you had a truckload of aspirin, it'd make you sick. Right? So you have to dose this properly. And in that study, what they did was feed a totally concentrated bromoform to the cattle before they ate the rest of their meal. So it was kind of like this aspirin. They would, you would never feed them that way. You want to mix the aspargopsis with the feed so that it represents less 1% or less. And so you want to mix it and then it's good. If you force feed and concentrate it, it's, it's not the proper way to do it. So I think overall healthy, good stuff, uh, as long as it's done right. And we're all working to make sure that, you know, the animal health is first and foremost. Yeah. 
Um, so, Roger, you're a very busy person and you wear a lot of hats, professor, entrepreneur, etc. Um, can you talk us through your professional background and training and just share some of the other projects you've worked on? Yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, I think it works well together, actually. I think um, teaching what you know helps everybody because it helps you to focus your thinking, uh, you know, organize your thoughts communicate with people, generally younger people, and that, that may get interested in what you're doing. So when I, um, you know, I, I worked, uh, I was trained as an oceanographer early on at, at Woods Hole and Colgate, and I actually took a cruise through the Panama Canal to the Galapagos Islands and did a lot of measurements out there. So I had this ocean experience, and then I got certified as an energy engineer. So ocean energy became kind of a, a natural result of that. I could see putting these things together and I got connected with the, the first tidal power plant in, uh, in New York City, which is right there at, uh, at Roosevelt Island in, in the East River. And that, you know, one thing leads to another. I, I, I met some of the Russian scientists at that time that were doing work in South America. So I ended up down, down there again at the Galapagos and, and looking at ways that, you know, how, developing areas can, can use these new technologies. Um, so, you know, that's progressed and, and you know, the, the frustration with the um, permitting, you know, 10 years to permit a project is a, is a tough one to make, to make a business. So, you know, I moved into the, uh, the seaweed side of things. I like to swim, I you know, like to get in the, in the water and, you know, scuba certified and whatnot. So those were all things that, uh, you know, like I like to work in that environment and 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 share that. I probably had um, you know over a hundred interns working my business, so connecting with the universities and uh, working with the students is is uh, sort of a natural, and uh, it's worked out well. And I, you know, I think it's it's healthy to. I don't I don't know if I would recommend my uh, journey to anyone else, but it, you know, it's worked for me, and and I and I think it's. Uh, you know, it's a way to keep life interesting to, to, to work in these different sectors and to, and to understand how, how they support each other. You know, certainly your MBA and then business is, is kind of a, a similar path. You know, it's, it's, it's a way to get the study side of things, but also to, you know, the practical uh, realization of your ideas across um, the marketplace. Sweet. And I guess as we are wrapping up here, do you have any other thoughts that you would like to share? You know, in addition to the uh, rural application for, for methane reduction in cattle with, with seaweed supplements, there also are urban and, and shoreline solutions as well for, for biodesign and seaweed. Exactly 10 years ago, Superstorm Sandy struck New York the metro area with, with a fierce destructive intensity causing over $40 billion worth of damage to the region. In New York City alone, over 70,000 buildings were impacted, 44 lives lost with significant damage to property and infrastructure from streets and highways to subways, rail, water, sewer systems, power lines. Eight million people lost power. And the storm surge and, and shoreline damage was huge. Record 30-foot wave heights were witnessed off the uh, southern tip of Manhattan near Battery Park. 
And the key point is this, what have we learned in the past 10 years to protect city infrastructure and how can this be done in ways that are affordable and effective? In my view, nature-based biodesign approaches have a lot to offer for, for New York City and coastline population centers throughout the world as a climate action defense. And this uh, approach recovers ocean habitat. It provides sustainable long-term shoreline protection. And, and similar superstorms like Sandy or, or what are called 100-year storms are predicted now every 10 to 20 years. And in the near future, uh, even more frequently, as global warming increases, uh, it's having several of these superstorms per decade. And this is due to the rising ocean temperatures and increasing uh, sea level rise. And it's particularly threatening as the global response to climate action currently lags worldwide. So seaweed with biodesign as a nature-based solution provides a lower cost, sustainable, and a job intensive approach that's effective and efficient. Nearshore seaweed fields can form a thick biomass barrier. And if properly designed with the correct species of seaweeds, the right location, and then when securely anchored, have proven to reduce storm surge 60%. And various species of seaweed and kelps that are native to New York City, New Jersey, and Long Island have many benefits. They, they capture carbon, reduce ocean acidification, clean the water of toxins, and, and they absorb excess nutrients from runoff and, and fertilizers. And these seaweeds can be set up and designed to reduce shoreline damage from storm surge events at a fraction of the cost of hard breakwater uh, infrastructure. A, a recent estimate, for example, for rigid movable shoreline uh, barriers in New York Harbor was estimated at $55 billion. And the biodesign and, uh, and uh, you know, this type of seaweed use which is just, could be achieved at a, at, a, at a fraction of the cost. So just to summarize this, Biodesign for natural seaweed uh, biomass systems that capture carbon, they reduce ocean acidification, they moderate the pH of the oceans, absorb toxins, create marine habitat, provide jobs to design, install, and maintain these systems, and help restore urban working waterfronts worldwide, as well as providing security and greater safety for uh, nearshore infrastructure. Now, I have a follow-up to that. Since we are at the 10th anniversary of when Hurricane Sandy happened, this seems like the perfect time to introduce something like this to New York. But also, I'm just wondering, in your experience and your opinion, do you think that the current climate politically um, is open to something like this? Do you think you know a small project like this could actually expand to protect the shorelines in this city and other cities? Absolutely. Uh, in the last month, I've spoken to both the uh, co-chairs of the NPCC. We, we have internationally the IPCC, which is the International Panel for, for Climate Change. 
NPCC uh, is the New York version that uh, reports directly to the mayor. And I've spoken with both co-chairs that are very enthusiastic about this. New York City is asking for uh, RFPs and, and, and funding uh, suggestions and uh, we'll be responding to them along the lines of what we've just spoken about. And there is also uh, funding from both New York State and the Biden administration has, I think, $20 billion set aside for shoreline protection projects uh, you know, throughout the United States. So there's, there's a great opportunity. I think the timing is right and it, you know, it couldn't happen faster and you know, with more appropriate timing than this memory uh, of Superstorm Sandy, which they'll come again. We have to be ready. Well, I couldn't think of a better way to wrap up the interview then. Thank you so much, Roger. Thank you. It was a great uh, opportunity to talk with you, and I, I, I look forward to uh, future collaboration. We appreciate our Loyal Impact Report listeners and hope you can help us spread the word about the series and the important sustainability work of our guests. Please rate and review the Impact Report wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you were inspired by this conversation, share a screenshot on Instagram and tag Impact Report Podcast. Learn more about the topics discussed in today's episode by following Roger on LinkedIn and by visiting aoaseaweed.com. And be sure to head to greenbiz.com or impactentrepreneur.com to read a recap of our conversation. Join us for the next episode of the Impact Report on Friday, November 4th. We'll be speaking with Pavel Ramirez of Plural. Interested in learning how you can launch a high-impact, purpose-driven career in sustainability? Check out the resources page from the Bard Graduate Programs in Sustainability for access to free resources to jumpstart your career. Hear from leaders in the fields of climate change, consulting, impact finance, circular economy, and more about how they launched their careers and the tips they have for you to join their industries. Visit gps.bard.edu resources today.